Hello, and welcome to the Mission Inspire podcast, a production of the National Medal of Honor Museum Foundation. My name is Mo Barrett, a leadership speaker and a retired Air Force Colonel. This month, I'm delighted to welcome Medal of Honor recipient Donald Doc Ballard to the Mission Inspire podcast for the latest episode in our Courage Conversation series. Born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri, Colonel Ballard used his passion for medicine to become a Navy hospital corpsman. In December of 1967, he deployed to Vietnam and just a few months later, his company was ambushed by a large North Vietnamese Army unit. During the battle, Doc Ballard ran through the heavy fire to treat a wounded man, and when a grenade fell close to his group, he jumped on it. When the grenade failed to detonate, he grabbed it and threw it, and it exploded in the air, injuring no one. He calmly got back up and continued administering medical aid. Well, Colonel Ballard, we're going to call you Doc, uh, inventor of the Dirty Doc Martini, um, which uh, we'll put the recipe in the show notes. It might be classified, though. We want to welcome you to the Mission Inspire podcast. It is an honor to have you here with us. And uh, we already know you're a character, so you guys are in for a treat. Listen to this. So you are a Navy corpsman, but I understand you initially wanted to become a dentist, right? And you wanted to work in a dental hospital, which is a good place for a dentist to work, right? <laughs> Well, I was attending dental school, and I worked in the in the laboratory to earn my tuition, and I ran out of out of tuition money. Mm -hmm. So I, my personal dentist was tracking me and wanting me to you know de, to become a dentist. <clears throat> so he advised me to join the military because they would fund my education. Mm -hmm. So that's why I chose to go into the service. Take, it, take us through the events of the 16th of May in 1968 when um, you were feeling, what were you feeling? You got your company was ambushed and uh, a grenade landed nearby. That's true, but you know, that was one few minutes in an, an entire event, you know. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so many of the recipients, uh, we get honored and recognized for one event, but I, I think it should be a broader scope to, mm -hmm. to explain why I did what I did. All right. Because I, jumping on a grenade sounds suicidal. Yeah. And, and all this, this essence, it was. <clears throat> uh, but I had no desire to kill myself. I had a wife, two kids, you know, two and a half years of college, wanted to be a dentist. Uh, I had things that I wanted to work on. Mm -hmm. So suicide really wasn't in my planning mm -hmm. but I believe the medal that I wear represents love mm. and uh, that was my way of demonstrating love and in return the Marines took their time uh, to write me up and you know uh, put me in for the award that's interesting so what what goes through your mind is it one of those slow motion things when you see this grenade and you see your your brothers there that you love and you want to take care of well, what, what goes through your mind when you see that? If I had just gotten off the plane, I wouldn't have done what I did. Hmm. You know, so I was embedded with them. You know, this was, I got in country in December, so this was seven months, six and a half months into my living right. with them. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, and I fell in love with them. They became my kids. Mm -hmm. You know, again, they were 17, 18, 19. I was 22, 23. Right. And they called me the old man, you know. So, and I was. Um, you know, I had more experience, and most of them right out of high school. Yeah. And uh, so I did have a lot more experience. But I, I fell in love with them. 
So my attitude that day was completely different based on living with them for a period of time and getting to know and love them. Mm-hmm. Well, it's yeah. A, yeah, when you have that relationship with somebody, that, that changes the whole dynamic of, of all of our decision-making. So. It does. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I'd question my sanity even then, but I'd question it even worse now yeah. <laughs> if I walked out in the street, you know, and, and right. saw something tragic happen. You know, it's it's in my DNA now. I've stayed a paramedic all my life. Mm-hmm. Retired off the fire department as a captain paramedic. Wow. Rode the streets for 30 years. And then uh, now I'm a funeral director. So uh, Yeah, you have two funeral homes, is that right? I do. How'd well, you get into that line of work? <clears throat> well, by, by necessity, uh, sitting around uh, in all these different organizations that I belong to, eventually we lose people mm-hmm. and when they die uh you know they need to be taken care of and, and there's no one that i know of around here that knows how to take care of a dead body mm. so it takes specialized training it takes uh licensing and uh, you know it's all about consumer protection more than it is about the deceased mm-hmm. but uh, we do have to prepare the body to where it looks as cl- close to normal mm-hmm. as possible for the family right so they can start their healing so it's uh, I got into it simply because out of need we had uh, we were losing a lot of veterans and it was costing us eight to ten thousand dollars to bury somebody wow. and to have a funeral for them, and we you know we just decided economically <clears throat> that we needed to do something. And what made me change my mind and get involved was one of my best friends. Um, before he became sick, he was a burn. Uh, victim mm-hmm. in, in combat and he says doc don't let him burn me I, you know I, I just can't th- fathom right, right. that idea I said oh I shouldn't be a problem we'll we'll start raising money you know and uh, prepare for your funeral well he went into the VA hospital and never came out mm. <clears throat> he died in the VA and by the time we got the word went up to talk to him and, and talked to the you know the VA system they had already cremated him. Oh. We failed him. So then I got involved and said, well, we got to do something. Yeah. I, I called the state board, regulatory, regulatory agency, to find out what it would be required to be licensed. And so I went back to school. The school's a four-year course. Yeah, really? I joined I, my first class. I was 60 years old. That's fantastic. No, it wasn't. It was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, 60 years old i'm going i'm starting a new career come on i actually drew social security at 62 two years before i got my license (laughs) but i think it says a lot about you um it's it's the it's the literal grenade that you're throwing your body on to start school at at 60 years old Mm -hmm. and to do something to honor somebody's memory and wishes and and that's again you are still showing love with your actions and so that's really really powerful so i think it is fantastic and i'm sticking by that okay (laughs) well i wish i could make some money doing it because uh you know i don't charge anything so and nothing's free in the world yeah so yeah uh, but there are a lot of families that really appreciate the love that you're showing them and their the legacy that you're carrying on for them i try my best you know you can't please everybody 100 percent of the time yeah but you can kill yourself trying right yes yeah so in may 1970 you're in the white house with uh, president nixon at the time right i was yeah so tell us about that day when you got your medal of honor from the president okay i was excited um probably for the first time in my life to get them 
you know, that height of excitement to be around the President of the United States. And mm-hmm. it was uh, pretty exciting. You yeah. know, they, there's a lot of cute stories that I should back up and get you. You know, I started to tell you how I earned the medal, and then yeah. I was going to. But oh, I yeah, also want to tell you. We got to back up. Let's yeah. hear them all. Yeah, and and uh, let me tell you how I learned how I was going to get the medal. Okay. That was fascinating. <clears throat> when I got out of the Navy, I had basket leave, which meant I had accrued leave, and I, I got to go home early while I was still on active duty. I turned all my gear in my uniforms, everything, and then uh, I went home, took my wife home and my children home, and, and I was preparing to go back into the Army OCS program. Mm-hmm. So I had, a, well, not quite a month off, uh, just short of a month. So I got the, my, uh, we had no cell phones back then. We right. had no phones at all. We had one hanging on the wall like that one <laughs> over there that uh, had a long tail on it. And my mother had to get up out of the chair to walk clear across the room to answer it. And so when I got out of the Navy, that's the only phone number I could give the Navy. My mother sent word by my father down to where I was working. I was in the East Bottoms loading trucks uh, to earn money so I could go to college. And uh, he came over and said, hey, your mom wants you to come by the house Sunday for dinner. Bring the kids. And I said, okay. So I got over there, and she said, the Navy called you here a couple times this week. Uh, I'd like for you to call them and find out what they want So you know, get them to quit calling. I said, sure. (laughs) Yes, Mom. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. So I did. Monday I went back to work, uh, Monday evening, and I uh, early afternoon, actually, and I called over there. And it turned out to be a retention NCO that said, well, I see you're getting out of the Navy, and we'd like to see what it was going to take to keep you in the Navy. You know, we have other jobs, you know, other skills that, you know, what what would you like to do? I said, I'm not interested. I'm, yeah. I'm just not, you know, I don't. He said, well, we got plenty of other jobs. I said, I'm sorry, but I'm just not interested. Okay, can I call you back later? And I said, no, I, you know, I don't want you to call me anymore. I'm, I'm not interested. Well, uh, two weeks, not even two weeks went by. I, I get another message. My mother wants me to come over for dinner, which is not a, it's an oddity in itself. So I get over there, and she said, you know, I thought I asked you to tell the Navy to quit calling here. <laughs> I said, well, you did, and I did. You know, I called them. She said, they've called here every day this week looking to get a hold of you. That's why I sent your father down to get you. I said, okay, what do they want? Well, I don't know. Here's the number. You call them and tell them to quit calling here. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. So I called, and uh, the uh, person on the other end of the phone said, where are you this minute? And I said, I'm in the East Bottoms loading trucks and gave them the address. And they said, the Admiral wants to talk to you. Uh-oh. That's what I said. What the hell does an Admiral <laughs> want to talk to me for? I was E5, you know. I turned down E6 because they wanted me to extend. So I'm thinking, oh, man, uh, what did I do? Uh, so anyway, here's a Battleship Grave, 1945 van uh, a car pull up and two navy officers get out and they hustle me out put me in the car and take me down to the AFI station to meet the admiral so i'm work clothes and they're standing there saluting reporting in and i'm looking like a bump on the log and i'm just standing there and he and the uh, captain 
who turned out to be Dan, I mean, uh, Don Ross, who's a Medal of Honor recipient himself. Uh-huh. I didn't know it at the time. Uh, and uh, so it was kind of, that was the first Medal of Honor recipient I met. Anyway, he got right up in my face and he says, son, do you realize that we've been trying to get a hold of you for 14 days? And I said, no, and yes, I do, I guess. I said, but sir, I, I told him I wasn't interested. And his mouth fell open. He says, I cannot go back to the President of the United States and tell him you're not interested in getting the Medal of Honor. <laughs> so then my jaw dropped. Right. He, he said, you didn't know you were going to get the Medal of Honor? And I said, no, sir, I did not. Still thinking it's the retention NCO trying to keep you in? That's right. That's all. <laughs> and my mother, you know, we had bad communication back then because, you know, we only had one car in the family and no phones. Yep, yep. Well, it was a simpler life. Wow. Gosh. So I, obviously you said yes, that you were going to accept well, that. Well, uh, he said, I've got three days to get your ass in front of the president or it's my ass. <laughs> I said, I get it, Colonel, or uh, Captain. Yeah. Uh, Captain wow. Colonel, you know. Yeah. So I said, yes, sir. So he had me on the plane the next morning. We flew out of Kansas City the next morning. No, I didn't have time to plan. It yeah. Was, they came to the house, picked me up, picked my parents up, and the official photograph shows my mother, father, brother, and my wife, two kids, and myself. Wow. That that's that was our our family at the time. Good Christmas card photo. It would have been. Yeah. Take it to Walmart, print it up, mail it out. Wasn't a Walmart back then. Oh, man. <laughs> Opportunity missed. Yeah. Wow, that is surreal. I mean, does it feel as surreal now as it did it, then? Oh, it's easier to talk about now. Sure, but, sure. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. You know, people. Because <laughs> now they call you up and have beer with you out in the garden, you know, with the yeah. Obama and all of them. They, they make it a big deal. Back in, you know, this was post-Vietnam, mm-hmm. and if you recall, no one liked the Vietnam War, yeah. and we were the enemy. Yeah, we were part of the problem, you know, in society. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we didn't talk about Vietnam. like. Yeah. Know. I'm glad we have the opportunity to do it now, though, because I think that's an important part of our history. We've lost a lot of veterans because yep. we didn't do it earlier. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So you worked, uh, you stayed in the military service, and then you went for the Kansas City Police. You said you were still paramedic. You're I doing- start when, uh, I had uh, an opportunity to uh, talk to the recruiters that came in into the Marine Corps when I was in the Marine. I got, I was in the Navy, but I was attached to the Marine. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I enjoyed it. I'm, you know, as much as anybody enjoys the Marine Corps. I, I was, uh, <laughs> I, I was. I was not actually a Marine, but I was treated better than the Marines, right. and I wasn't inside the chain of command, so people, the Marines could come to me and talk freely, and yep. I wouldn't rat them out or, uh, you know, read their Dear John letters to them sometimes, but, uh, you know, we, I had a great relationship between, you know, the corpsman and the Marine is a, is a tremendous love that uh, I have full respect mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. So when you stayed with the um, the police department, the fire department, what what motivated you to keep working for your community then after your military service? Just love, you know. I'm I stayed a paramedic, you know. Yep. I was a corpsman. Yep. Uh, when I, <clears throat> I I hired on the police department first, and then the city acquired uh, the EMS system came mm-hmm. about. It was all developed, and and uh, should be noted now that 
there was no EMTs, no paramedics, no ambulances on the streets of Kansas City or anywhere in the country until after Vietnam. We brought that training home with us. Ah. So if you, I always like to hang something good on something that was bad. And, right. And my recollection is that we, I was one of the first three in the state of Missouri and, uh, you know, enjoyed what we did. And, you know, I could do a cricoid thyroidotomy, tracheostomy, guillotine amputation, but when I came home, I wasn't qualified to carry a bedpan without supervision. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the civilian sector did not recognize military training. So we we set out to get that changed. And that, we, oh, I didn't know that. That's really cool. It was. Yeah. Well, yeah. because again, like you said, you the, the stuff that you were entrusted to do and trained to do and could do. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really good. Well, that we exceeded the, the doctor's expectations. And uh, there, I worked orthopedic and neurosurgery. So I had a doctor on one side of the table. I worked this side. Jeez. And in orthopedics, one would hold a leg or the bone and the other one would saw it off, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we would uh, yeah I'm a little <laughs> gruesome, but we would make the stump you know for the uh, artificial limb. Wow! And uh, we would pack it with enough muscle and tissue and and make the cushion you know for the for the body to be able to. Oh, we'd have to round the bone off and get all the rough edges off of it as well. So it's it's an art. Yeah, but I, I'm glad there's people like you that can do that. I can't even watch the show ER without, you know, gagging a little bit. So, <laughs> But to move on to the conversation, we are having this conversation overlooking the uh, National Medal of Honor Museum construction site uh, getting ready to open, and it's going to preserve and share the stories and your stories and your legacies. What does it mean to you to have this museum, and why is it important that we build this museum? Well, you've mentioned it. It's a, it is a legacy. It uh, it's an educational venue that allows us to share with the um, the unknowledgeable, uh, the interesting, seeking people that want to know more. Uh, you know, there there's some people out there that want to learn, mm-hmm. and they're not afforded that opportunity in the schools or churches or even at homes anymore. So. This, this takes the role of all those facets. In addition, it gives uh, clarity, you know, and, and it's a real, some people live by um, example, other people live by watching other people. And, and when you can go to a museum and see the type of equipment, the uniforms, how the living conditions was, you know, you get a better feel, yeah. realization, feeling that uh, you wouldn't get by listening to somebody tell a story. Yep, yep. This makes so it tangible. So I support the museum a thousand percent in in its sole purpose of education. Yep. No, I love that. I love that you said uh, to share for those who are the the interest seekers. Yeah. So for interest seekers, can you tell us a little bit about the kiss a kiss a brick dot com effort? I can. You know, all of us. Uh, I've been a caregiver all my life, and um, after I. I, let's put it let me summarize that let me summarize that by saying I became a funeral director out of need mm-hmm. because I saw a need I stepped up to uh, meet that need during that process and and I've been doing it 20 years you you don't know what you don't know and I quickly learned that there's a lot more to the funeral business than one would think mm-hmm. 
again, very few people want to deal with the dead body or qualified to deal with it or even think about knowing how to deal with it. So in my travels, I run across other funeral directors in, in our trade. And, you know, we identified that there's over 17,000 veterans that have died either suicide or under the bridge yeah. or they're unidentified veterans and they've died and they were cremated and they're sitting on shelves in these funeral homes and they're in there with the mop, mop buckets mm. so if you're sitting you know they're on the shelves with the mop bucket so we feel and i feel compelled to provide them a dignified honorable military funeral with military honors um, you know they gave their all yep. um, they didn't mess they didn't die in combat but they certainly paid the price for us to have the freedom and I think we owe them so the kissabrick.com is our link to for people to reach out and support us if they have any family members that's ever served in the military uh, they could uh, memorize them by memorialize them I mean if they had any family members in combat or in the military at all, they could use these bricks to memorialize their service and pay homage and respect to their family members. So uh, we've talked a little bit about kissabrick.com, and you've partnered with with which American Legion? Uh, it's po it's <clears throat> I partner with Post 500 in, right across the street from the Speedway Post 500, and we're hoping to change the American Legion one post at a time. Mm -hmm. So initially we started there because of the exposure and potential income potential. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's a good, it's a, our first step. And if we're successful in Indianapolis, then we'll reach out in other states and try to uh, reclaim the unclaimed veterans that have died, been cremated, and are sitting on the shelves in these funeral homes across mm -hmm. the country. It's a worthwhile project, uh, but more importantly, you know, it's got a lot of facets. We're combining it with the Medal of Honor uh, educational program. We have character development program, Great. and we, we'll house the, that program within our, our facility. And there, we, we're just coming up with all new ideas on how to expand the reach and how to benefit the younger veteran while taking care of the old veterans. So it's, it's um, I'm an entrepreneur, and when I got up there and got my two cents involved, they decided to name the building after me because I'm going to help them fund it. There you go. That's one, that's, keep your name living on. I yeah, love there that. you go. So one question we ask all the recipients here on these Courage Conversations is, is there another Medal of Honor recipient whose story inspires you? Well, it would be hard pressed to pick out one. Uh, Woody Williams, I think, mm -hmm. if I had to, uh, it comes to mind right now. He was the first recipient that uh, took me under his wing when I first joined the society. Again, Marine Corman, right? Mm -hmm. Relationship, mm -hmm. and he said, "Doc, come on here. Let me show you some ropes." And and uh, he beca later became our chaplain for the society, and and. Uh, you know, I really fell in love with him, and he started a program that was called uh, Gold Family, Gold Star Families. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He started a program that was called Gold Star Families, 
and it's a memorialization of all of the family members that lost somebody in, in combat. You know, it used to be the gold star mothers, right? which is certainly uh, appropriate, but fathers cry too. Yep. So it's all about the family. Yep. I signed on with him uh, on his board uh, to, to help him grow that, and I'm still working with him today on uh, memorializing uh, our lost soldiers and sailors and Marines, airmen, uh, that's lost their lives in combat. That's fantastic. You, you're, you're really good about just kind of paying tribute, and I know you're sitting on 33 other or 32 other boards as well, so staying involved and engaged, and that's um, there's a lot of families and service members who are grateful for that. So thank you for doing that, and thank you for sitting down with us today and looking forward to the festivities for the weekend. Um, but thank you for your service and for your stories and um, for joining us today. To learn more about the National Medal of Honor Museum, you just type in mohmuseum.org to get the latest updates and find out how you can help its mission to inspire America. And for the interest seekers, they can go kissabrick.com and they can look that up as well. And that'll be it for us today. You can join us next time on the Mission Inspire podcast.